Education is the key to success. Go to school, get a job, and live a good life. That is the African dream. And Jay, is it just me or someone light to the masses? People are on these streets carrying their entire alphabet of degrees, and yet they are living hand to mouth. No one is questioning what are we learning? Why are we learning it? What is education? And what is success? Let's not forget, there's also a growing number of people with special and varying needs who do not even have access to basic education. I have to ask, is education in Africa broken? My name is Tebo Hakangota III. Join me every week as I sit down with experts, educators, parents, and students to talk about the state of education on the African continent. It's a lot. Welcome to the Educated Africana. Today is another edition of Educated Africana. I am sitting in for our wonderful host, Tebuho, and yeah, a different voice, but it's okay. Today we're having an interesting conversation, which is educating abroad, yay or nay. Hmm. So we have some very apt guests who can, you know, give us a bit of insight into their thoughts around this topic. So please help me welcome Helen from Our Moon. And we have Mo, who is in Oklahoma. And we have Petra, currently in transit. <laughs> Let's get right into the conversation. Why is it important to educate Africans abroad? Helen, what do you think? Well, if I can start by giving you some context to the work that I do. Um, I, I run a small international development charity called Our Moon Education, and we work in Zambia with very bright but financially disadvantaged young people who couldn't afford to go to university um, without the opportunity for full scholarships, which tend to be abroad. And so we work with young people to help them access places abroad. So in that context, it's very important that for them to fulfill their education um, um, ambitions, that they can access university somewhere. And so they get to go to universities, some outstanding universities abroad from our programme. I do think it's really good to get different perspectives. And I think that travelling gives you different perspectives. And that's a very good thing for, for people from all over the world to do I think it helps us understand other people better I think it leads to um if you can understand other people and their race their different races different religions it helps to build peace around the world well that's my that's always my hope so Mo what is your um what has your experience been with educating Africans abroad um, I think you're, I'll start by, oh, by the way, um, let me just also put some context. Um, I, um, I was, I studied in Nigeria for my undergrad and then moved to the U.S. 11 years ago 
for my PhD. And um, as someone who's been on one end as a student, I now work on the other end as an educator. So my perspective will be from those um, two angles. I think going back to the very first question, I think um, even the value of education and why Africa needs to, you know, um, why do we need to even educate the African child? I mean, there's so many reasons. I think the top that comes to mind will be, we know that education is one single factor that can help lift people out of poverty and even um, build so many skills that will translate to increase or gains in the economy. And I think um, the growth in the world's labor market right now is in Africa compared to other parts of the world, Africa will grow its population. And in the next 30 years, it's projected that sub-Saharan working age population in Africa will increase more than twofold, which is you know, um, about 70% of the total world growth. So by educating, um, focusing on education and just the importance of it, I think, um, it's it's very impactful, right? But then this education, there's also access to high quality education, right? Because we need to use that to build skills for the world's um, future workforce, increase incomes, um, grow economies, and even expand, you know, our markets. Um, as far as studying abroad, there's no straight answer for me because um, I think it depends, right? And I think the cautiousness I would take to answering the question also lies in my head as a researcher because we can't always say yes. I mean, there's some things that have absolute yes. When it comes to this question, I think it could be a yes or a no, but it depends on it. And, and I guess with more questions that you ask, I'll be, I'll be more than happy to expand on why I'm in the middle point about it. Um, yeah, so I hope that answered your question, Joe. And thanks for having me. Thank you. So Petra, would love for you to join in the conversation. What are your thoughts on the importance of educating Africans abroad? Uh, well, I, 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 I was listening to the two um, previous speakers and then I asked myself, um, when these uh, students go abroad, they study, some of them stay there. Are we not draining Africa? Like in terms of intellectuals, we sending our kids out there to study and then they don't come back home. How are we benefiting from that? And how are we losing out? So just like uh, Mo said, I'm also torn in between. I'm not too sure whether I should say yay or I should say nay because uh, <laughs> It works both ways, depending on where you're standing, really. Otherwise, we have had so many cases of children going to study abroad, and then they don't come back to Africa. So how are we benefiting? But at the same time, there are some like the one that Yelen is working with who decided to come back and at least do something beneficial to the society. So I'm torn in between. Helen, with your experience, what has made it attractive for your students to come back to Zambia um, or come back to Africa in general, right? So I think I, I also share the yes, no, <laughs> um, but we're very intentional right from the time that we select our students um, to talk about the fact that they're getting this education opportunity so that they can contribute back to not necessarily Zambia itself or their immediate communities, but to the African continent in some way. And so right from the time they're selected onto our programme, it's conversations that we have with them. 
and they are accepted onto onto various study programs. They 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 study in all sorts of universities in different countries. Um, some of them are in Africa, so there are some excellent universities. There's a, in particular, Ashesi University, USIU in Kenya. So Ashesi's in Ghana, USIU in in Kenya that deliberately develop African leaders. And so university abroad doesn't necessarily mean overseas, but it's looking for, for those really good universities that help to develop Zambia and African leaders. I think it's, it's, it's always about the intention. And there will always be some students that go off abroad and for whatever reason, don't come back. There also might be some students that do certain things that are benefiting Africa or, or Zambia that they couldn't do at home. Um, so for instance, um, it's not one of my students, but a, a student with a from a similar type of organization was working on developing the COVID vaccine. He couldn't have done that work from, from in um, Zimbabwe, his home country, but he could do that from abroad. So that, and he was, but he was benefiting people around the world and in Africa from the work that he was doing. So I think sometimes, sometimes it depends a little bit about the work that they want to do. And, and um, what I always have asked them to think about is how are you, how are you benefiting people in your country? And if they can answer that, that question, or um, then I feel satisfied that they're doing something. Ideally, they would come back and we do a lot of work with them to, we, um, we have an internship program to help people come back to the country so that they realize that there are good professional organizations doing meaningful work in their country um, and that that all helps them to come back because it is quite scary coming back sometimes especially when you've come from the poorest backgrounds the fear is that you'll be going back to that mm -hmm. and they don't need to okay so mo let's dig a little bit deeper what are the positives? What are the negatives of educating Africans abroad? Uh, I mean, the positives would be, okay, before I even go into the positive, let's talk about why we, we have people moving abroad in the first place for education. Um, it's not because we lack talents back home um, to teach. I think you just, and when I talk about Africa, I think I should just be very specific that I'm going to be talking about Nigeria because it's about the only country I have lived in in Africa and it's also the one I have the most experience with and that's it I can't speak for the whole of Nigeria I, I was brought up in Lagos um so back to my point it's not like it's not like we lack the talent or um the teaching force for it I think it just boils down to the infrastructure right um there's a lot of government involvement in education and by virtue of that, it's prone to so many insecurities. Um, take, for example, just this year alone, it wasn't until uh, a, long, um, a short while that students in, in the highest in higher education like, um, university had to go back because they were home for eight months due to strike. Um, and the strike came about for uh, unpaid wages and some other unsanitary working conditions that the um, union of um, educators and with protesting against but that meant students who were supposed to be in school you know working towards earning a degree they were home for eight months right and imagine just how much you've lost in eight months right 
And so when people move abroad, and who are those people that even have the means to move abroad? You're talking about those in the middle class for the most part. I mean, you find, and then also in the higher class, but the ones that really need it, and the irony is that they're not able to even get access to that because for you to leave the country, even if you were to get scholarship, you still have to, you know, pay for the um, application fee, get your visas, pay for your flight tickets, and those things are kind of cost um, prohibitive for um, many Nigerians who are living below the poverty level. And so when you are eroding the middle class, I mean the higher class, those in the um, higher class, they have the means anyway. So I want to focus on the middle class because I think those are very pivotal. Um, when you are eroding that middle class, you're also losing a lot, right? But moving abroad will be a gain for those who want to move abroad to study because it tends to broaden your perspective. You're also able to maybe specialize, maybe even earn um, higher wages. And then in turn, we can start talking about, we might not be able to talk about black taxes. You may also be the um, guiding light to elevate your siblings or family members from poverty. Because I know that for a lot of us studying abroad, it just doesn't end there. We even went in school, whatever money we're earning, we're sending back home just because of the sheer um, magnitude of our um, currency relative to that of you know, the dollar, for example. Um, so that's one. And another advantage will also be even career paths, right? Um, I think in most countries abroad, you're able to at least find a place to kind of hone your craft. Um, the sad thing I think about um, Nigeria or even Africa at large is we are not, um, the courses and our education system is not geared to tackle solutions for the workforce, for the marketplace, right? There's so much um, emphasis on, on STEM courses. And by STEM, I think it's even mostly nursing, pharmacy, um, engineering, um, medicine. And I say that carefully because, you know, I, I studied pharmacy and I know I'm privileged in that area. But I think that we've put so much emphasis on, on those degrees at the um, expense of even other meaningful ones. Not everybody can be doctors, not everybody can be pharmacists. So I think because we haven't done a good job in utilizing those degrees, I mean, while I was um, finishing um, university, and I think this is applicable to everyone in Nigeria, it's supposed to be a project, right? Imagine if we turn those projects into ideas, but a lot of them just die there, you know, they're not turned into ideas or things we can implement in the marketplace or maybe interventions to build upon to you know, help our environment in one way or the other. So those are um, some of the things I, I see as cons. And, and definitely you're losing a lot of talent when you send people abroad because chances are you're gonna end up staying back. Case in point, you know, when I was living in Nigeria, I, I lost the dreams of going back to help in one capacity or the other. But after staying here for 11 years and every now and then when I go back home, it feels like um, my the, the distance between those to places I like universe away, you know, and I, I don't feel comfortable here and I don't think I'll, I'll feel comfortable back home, but I found ways to bridge my research and the things I do um, to Nigeria because it means a lot to me to um, keep contributing towards the development. So in few words, that, you know, just some um, high level details of pros and cons about studying abroad. From your previous comments, you were, you know, not sure why exactly or how the African continent is benefiting um, when there is a, a brain drain, right? But do you see any positives? Somehow, um, yes, there are positives. It's not like uh, I'm saying um, there it's all negative. No, 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 no. There is cultural diversification. And you find that um, 
when they go out there, they bring some 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 new new ideas that we're not used to here, which they find beneficial or which we also find beneficial as a community. But um, the issue is in that diversification, there are negatives and positives as well. But then um, any, any good person would choose the positives and try to make them work in their own communities. Um, I'm actually happy uh, Helen mentioned the Zimbabwean guy who was uh, trying to, 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 to come up with the COVID uh, medication. That's commendable really, because I will also speak um, mainly focusing on the Zimbabwean community because that is what I have knowledge about in as much as I once stayed in Zambia, but <laughs> I, I, I know more about the Zimbabwean because uh, the Zimbabwean community, because that is what I touch best with every day. Um, we do, we do, we do also have a positive of tapping into the technologies and at least when the African student goes there to learn, they bring back that knowledge and we all benefit. And also uh, probably to, 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 to make it work even better, maybe there's need for franchises with those universities so that they have branches within the African continent. And then we don't really have to send uh, children abroad. Why? Because in our case, um, it's children from the affluent families who can afford to go. Those who cannot, uh, thanks to the likes of Helen and other organizations which do the same, which actually take the underprivileged and they send them there to have that exposure. Because really, at times uh, when you have that exposure, your mind opens way better and you think way better than you would have, like she rightfully said, uh, maybe your conditions back home don't really allow you to explore all your faculties. So when you go there, you get the exposure, you think better and you probably perform way better than you would at home. So yeah, but then let's have franchises so that we bring it home and everybody benefits, even those who cannot afford to go there. Thank you. Okay, so for the most part, I mean, Africa has got, uh, people of all different races, right? But for the majority, they are Black Africans, right? And when they do go abroad, that is the first time that they are experiencing being a Black person. Like they, like that concept has never even <laughs> crossed their mind, you know? And, you know, you hear stories where these students, um, their mental health is affected, because of that experience, um, uh, the different levels of discrimination in different areas. So as much as maybe the conditions back home are not the greatest, is it really a good trade, <laughs> your mental health or your, you know, or I don't know, the conditions back home? So anyone can go. I mean, um, it's a trade-off, right? And you were spot on, on just some of the things you talked about. It was a very huge adjustment for me. And I prided myself as somebody who, I thought I was very adaptable. I mean, I was in boarding house um, for, I went to boarding school for six years from the age of nine. So I've kind of 
gain some life skills. But moving abroad was a totally different ball game. I came here in my 20s. How much more, and I imagine how much more difficult it would be for those who came, to, came here when they were like in their teens, right? There was so much adjustment I had to make. Not only was I um, being told that I was black, you know, cause you know, you're Nigerian, you see yourself, you're all black, right? And even when we talk about our skin color, it was just to kind of make fun of, oh, you yellow purple, things like that. But in, in the US, you know, we have to carry our Crayola boxes around, like, you know, everything was kind of done in color. And sometimes it was in a reductive way. And then depending on where you go to school, like if you go to places where you don't have a lot of diversity there, by diversity, I meant like representation of people um, from different, you know, walks of life and races, you might even be at a more um, disadvantage, right? And so that adjustment was there. And then mentally just being separated from home, right? Um, you know what your people are, this is a new culture, the food is strange. Um, people just keep smiling at you and you're wondering, you know, how are you gonna make friends? How are you gonna build life for yourself? And even the, the classroom itself was a little bit intimidating. So um, I came here to do a PhD in pharmacy and um, I came straight after getting my bachelor's degree. So I didn't even have a buffer like doing a master's in between. and I knew that I, I coming from Nigeria, I came here on my merits, right? Cause I, I, I had to take GRE, I had to do interview and it was one of the top 10 schools for my PhD, for any PhD in pharmacy. And so, but getting to it, um, and in grad school, you find the best of the best, right? And you're competing with, it's a different kind of competition. It's not like there's like, you know, GPA or positions, but it's a form of intellectual con um, 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 competition that goes in place. So you're in a classroom where, People are just talking and you're thinking, how, how can I even hop into this conversation? Because the way I was taught back home, I was given the notes to read and I was supposed to turn everything back verbatim to my professor. I wasn't challenged. Anytime I even had a question that seemed challenging, I wasn't encouraged to ask about it. And, and I think it was um, one of the um, 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 ministers of education in Ghana. He, um, and I'm, his name, I think Dr. Yao, I'm gonna, um, butcher his name. There was something he said about how we in Africa were not building um, the education in Africa needs a serious over, overhaul because we um, the, the kind of education we have is not giving us critical thinking, especially what we need in 21st century. I mean, for Christ's sake, we are in the fourth um, industrial revolution where um, we're leveraging technology, Internet of Things to kind of shape how we how we you know um, move into the world and all that. But our, our education, our curriculum is no one that empowers the African child to ask questions and to challenge now the status quo. We're taught to be quiet and not to say anything when the adults are speaking. And so I came to the US tongue-tied and I was in class where I had the ideas, but for, I just felt like there was something just blocking those ideas from coming out. And it took a lot because I suffered a lot, you know, with imposter syndrome, did I belong here? It took a lot. And so that's some, so that's some of the things um, international students will have to go through, but it gets better is all I'm trying to say. It gets better acknowledging and normalizing difficulty. And you do, you can't just sit still, you have to go out there and apply yourself. So because I was studying, you know, um, something in health, I started having watching a lot of nice shows that talked about health issues. I started learning more about the political landscape and smart dabbing, even though this semester, I just blossomed. 
you know, I found my voice and I was able to incrementally contribute to the to the class so much so my professor picked on it. He was like, I've been wanting to, because I, I write better than I could talk then, right? And so I write my essays, I had all my points, but when I when it came for my thoughts to speak in class, I wasn't quite confident. And so that encouraged me to just keep speaking out. So for anyone listening to this who might be struggling, you know, it's okay to feel the way you, you're feeling, but don't stay there. Apply yourself, um, make use of your student assistance, um, stay behind and talk to the professor, talk to your classmates who seem to, you know, get a better grasp, ask them how they're studying, how they come about those ideas. But for an African person, I can imagine it can be quite difficult at first. Helen, what's your experience been with your students and um, how they have adapted? Based on which university they go to and how many um, other Zambians and Africans there are at the university. So for instance, we've got quite a, a, well, it's a small cohort, but we've got a cohort of students at Edinburgh University, for instance, that support each other. And Edinburgh itself has the largest number of African students of any of the UK universities. I think they have about a thousand African students, um, which is, so it gives them an incredible community to go to. And I think it makes it a little bit easier. That doesn't mean to say it's easy for everyone, but it's it, it does make it easier than going to a university where you might be one of the only Zambians they've ever had. And, you know, there are just a few Africans on site. Um, we've also um, got some students studying at Ashoka University, which is in um, India, in, near Delhi. And again, we've got we've got a nice little group of them. So they all support each other and help each other. Um, one of the things that we do during our program is, um, so they study literature and we generally study um, the book that I'm sure Mo's very familiar with because it's by a Nigerian author, but it's Americana. And Chimamanda. That, yes, <laughs> Chimamanda, you, you can say her surname better than me, but Ngoze Adiche, if anybody's... Adiche. Well done, Ellen. <laughs> if anybody's interested in reading that book, it's it, it helps us to raise a lot of the issues that students will go through when they study abroad. And we also do identity classes and things like that to try and help them um, and to just understand who they are before they go. And I think one of my concerns is always to take a, a school leaver and just go to university overseas not even within Africa I think it's it's a very big ask of that student and um, I can see that a lot of them would suffer badly from mental health and even so some of our students do what we try and do is also get them used to the fact that they can ask for help because again that's something that Africans aren't encouraged to do in schools and part of the education systems and so we try and say it's okay to feel bad and it's okay to ask for help when you feel bad don't don't just suffer on your own um but it is something that's very much in the forefront of of my mind when students go off um if i can also say we're a member of an, a network of organizations called the harley access network um so there are about i think at the moment 45 or so african organizations within the network that help to send students um help to help students to access university a lot of which is abroad and one of the big topics at our annual conference is always you know how do we deal with mental health issues and um, so again you know just 
at a wider level, it's something that's very much on our minds. And I have a number of students, um, uh, of volunteer counsellors that support our students as well when they need extra help that they're not getting either during our programme or when they're at, at, um, at university. So, I mean, Petra, what are your views? Is it worth it? Because, you know, the mental health effects can go to substance abuse, you know, whether it's um, drugs, alcohol, just as a way of coping. And then this child, you've sent them abroad and then, oh my gosh, I have to go and pick up uh, my child because they just can't cope. But is it really, is it worth it? Um, well, from from what Helen and Mo are saying, I would say with support, yes, yes, it's really worth it because they have a strong support system, they can manage, they help them to navigate the situation or the environment, but without, if you fail to get the necessary support, really that's when you find people abusing drugs, people getting into criminal activities as well just to fit in the society. So uh, it's neither here nor there, but or, 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 I think uh, most universities now that do take uh, students have that in place, that support system for them to be mentally okay, because it can actually be draining. Even for an adult, it can be draining. What more? some young adult who is going to study. Yeah, so it's neither here nor there. Yeah, so um, spot on, on what Helen and Petra just said, and it just reminded me of when I was in grad school, I think when I was working on my master's thesis, I found that I couldn't write. You know, I, I just was frozen. I couldn't write and my work was suffering. And I recall my um, advisor then, and she's someone that doesn't suffer falls. She'll go straight to the point, she'll call you out. She called me into her office and says, there's something different about you. Are you okay? I just wanted to know if you're not doing well, you can always go seek help um, in the um, mental health you know, resources. You don't have to tell them what you're going through. And I think it kind of liberated me because as an international student, I was kind of worried going to seek help for whatever I was going through because I thought it was going to jeopardize my visa status. And, and so my point to this is that make sure you go to a school where Number one, they have a very good infrastructure for you. Um, and the international office also looks out for you because chances are you might you know, fall into some immigration issues or you know, visa issues or even some things that might happen to you. Those are your adv advocates. I don't care how much they're giving you in free tuition. If they don't have an international um, office or something in that capacity that serves as a liaison for you as an international student, do not go to such schools. And it's okay to seek help. I mean, by going, um, undergoing counseling for you know um, depression and anxiety and also my perfectionism tendency, it kind of helped me to kind of gain my power back. And I remember the first time I walked into the therapist office, she asked where I was from, and she said, "Oh, this was just taking. This must have taken you a lot to come here, because I I can imagine." Imagine that being Nigerian is hard for you to seek help. And it just broke me down. I mean, she was as she's white. I mean, she didn't know much about my country, but she understood the importance of me just, you know, coming forward and saying, 
I need help. My brain is, is broken and I need help to fix it. So again, yeah. And I also want to encourage parents back home. When your children move here for school, don't just leave them. Don't, don't demand so much from them. There's a lot we have to go through to send that stipend and whatever we're earning back home. It's not all roses here. Students will go through a lot. I know some people who died here by, you know, um, getting involved in drugs. Like they were maybe serving as drug mules and they got, you know, shot during you know, an altercation. And, and these are things people do just to make sure they're you know keeping their heads above water don't just leave your kids abroad because they are abroad you think they are doing fine checking on them you know ask how they're doing ask specific questions not everything in abroad looks glossy there's a lot there's a lot of sacrifices that has to be made and people break their backs sometimes at the expense of their own health just to make it here hmm. yeah i mean just to add on to that you know i was going to talk about the parent aspect because even when we're talking about um looking for the schools like you said I feel like parents should be asking the right questions you know what I mean I almost feel like parents are more focused on okay is it a doctor is it like you know what's the program but they're not even looking at what type of support what type of pastoral care is there you know with the international office with the mental health all of those kinds of things to make sure that your child actually thrives you know um so my question to you is, what are key questions that a parent should be asking or looking for when, you know, when, you know, scouting schools abroad? Um, I don't have that much experience of um, parents actually asking questions. A lot for a lot of our students, not all of them, but a lot of our students, their, their parents are illiterate. And so they don't have that capacity to ask the right the right questions they trust us um and that is something that you know I've, I've been thinking quite a bit about recently is that I probably should spend try and spend more time with their parents helping them to understand um one of the key things that I think um that we do talk about though is parents put a huge demands on on their children when they when they go abroad asking for money asking for this asking for that and I do try and tell them that the students might be given money but um, they're given money because they need it at, at university if they're given money for for food it's generally on a card they don't have cash so they can't send it home and the students similarly shouldn't feel guilty the fact that they get three meals a day and maybe their siblings only have two um, so it's looking at looking at those things really and what I tell the students is that if you can and if you've got a younger sibling or maybe a cousin who isn't in school or can't afford to go to school help that one person and and see that through but don't overcommit and don't don't sort of keep sending money home because they, it will never stop that need never stops um but uh, yes, in terms of dealing with parents, I, I really don't have that that much experience. Mo, would you have any advice? Sure, sure. Um, again, this is just me because I don't. My child is still very young to be in university or whatever. But um, and I know Helen has spoken to one aspect of parents, but there's some parents who are quite you know knowledgeable about what could be going on. Again, um. Getting in touch with the school's liaison, maybe through the international office or the graduate coordinator, um, asking about what the career pathway for your child looks like. 
and what level of involvement. Again, if they're coming to university, there's some level of in independence they're supposed to have. It's not going to be like, you know, high school or, um, you know, secondary school where, you know, parents are really hands-on. And because of federal policies, which are um, policies in place to kind of protect, you know, the students from any um, just exposure whatsoever, that can also impact what level of information parents are given if the students haven't, you know, um, authorized those release of grades and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, but definitely asking what the career path looks like, alumni network, um, mental health resources on campus for my child, um, what forms of um, activities that might be culturally appropriate or even culturally enriching for my child. And um, yeah, I think those kind of um, questions would be kind of good to know. Uh, and I think it also shows just how actively involved you might be in your, in your kid's life. And then maybe even asking about um, how long it's gonna take for the program? What are some things that can impact? You know, what if my child needed to take a break, maybe due to some things, how can the child be integrated back on events of maybe illness, you know, sickness, you know, what are the options for my child? You know, there's so many questions to ask, but again, um, those I think those ones I've given should suffice for now. Yeah, those are great. Uh, Petra, do you have anything to add? Oh, and I think I'm sorry, I mentioned FEPA. FEPA is Family Education Rights Privacy Act, and it's a federal law that protects, affords parents the right to have access to their, you know, child's, um, children's, children's education records. But again, it's, there has to be some things in place. The, the students, for the most part, will have to authorize those kind of release. So that can be quite different for African parents to hear because it's like, I cannot see my children's group now. Yeah. yeah. It could be protected on that fair part. Uh, thank you for that clarification. Okay, so this is on a lighter <laughs> note, guys, on my final question. Uh, so, you know, I think one of the things about um, being educated abroad is that exposure and a level of, I guess, freedom, right? Because then you, you're allowed to explore different um, areas of interest and then you find, oh, I'm passionate about X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, I came here for to be a lawyer, but then now uh, I want to be a poet, you know. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you find that there are some, there's students that either do, they do, um, they study something that is not necessarily um, able to al allow them to be integrated back home. So, you know, it's, it's either they are overqualified, um, that program is not available in that country. I remember I had a friend, he did, um, um, he did, oh my God, I sound so, um, so bad. Like, you know, with spaceships, what would you call that? <laughs> Astro, like the space science, astron astronomical sciences, maybe? Yes, yes. Aeronautical engineering. So, exactly. So he studied along those lines. And then when he came home, um, you know, he didn't find any opportunities, but he really did want to be home. So he went into a path of um, accounting um, and auditing, you know. So I guess in as much as you know it's great you go you see all these wonderful courses what is your advice for a student who is particularly looking to come back home and integrate back home when we when we look at when when students come to us i would say the vast majority want to be doctors 
and they they say they want to be doctors their parents have told them they want to be doctors and they've got top grades in school so the school tells them they want to be doctors um so the my first my first task is usually dismantling that perception of them wanting to be doctors and i talk to them about what what do they see themselves doing rather than being and that helps to open up conversations um we um we do encourage them to follow their interests in what they do. And one of the lovely things about the US education system is this liberal arts um, programme that they have. So you can take things, uh, quite a lot of courses outside your major that help to open up other opportunities for you and, and give you that diversity. That's not true in a lot of countries. Generally, uh, certainly in the UK, you've, you're fairly fixed in the degree that you're doing, um, just like most African countries, or certainly the Anglophile African countries. Um, but um, what we, for instance, we do on our programme, we teach all the students to code. So immediately they learn about computer programming um, and that opens up some other, some new doors to them. But in terms of medicine, um, quite often, they're quite relieved when they can have a conversation. So, well, no, actually, I didn't ever really want to be a doctor. Um, other things are more interesting to me and they talk about them. But at the end of the day, we do try and help them to focus on something that they can do back home um, and contribute to back home. So we've got students in this year's cohort. We've got someone who wants to do environmental science and is really interested in climate change and all the debate around climate change. And I'm sure that in the future, there are going to be lots of jobs around climate change in Africa. Um, we've got um, an environmental and civil engineer who's interested in, in, um, in looking at, at different forms of energy and using water and solar and different things um, and the infrastructure needed for that. Um, we've got another person interested in civil engineering, but from a different different perspective. Um, we've got two students who are interested in biomedical science and research and want to, one's very interested in diabetes. Um, I've, I'm sure I've missed some of them, but those, those sorts of broad areas that they're thinking about what sort of issues there are at home and what can they study that could help them solve those issues at home. Um, so we, it is it is kind of planned around what problem solving at home rather than what do they want to be. Yeah, that's great. Mo, you want to chip in? Sorry, I was muted. Yes, um, I agree with um, having um, many years. I mean, a couple of years ago. I realized that one of the best questions you can ask someone like a young person is rather than say, what do you want to be in the future? Because we ask that a lot, right? Is what kind of um, problems would you like to solve, right? And again, going back to my earlier point about how our educational system in Nigeria and Africa as a whole isn't preparing us to tackle the issues in the, work, in the workplace. Um, I think those that are going back home, make sure you are aware of just how there could be almost like a reverse form of, um, what's the word, culture shock for you going back home. 
Um, chances are, if you've studied abroad, you've probably gone to a place with you know better quality of life, maybe more um, steady power, um, where things function very well, faster Wi-Fi. Now you're going back home and you know trying to adjust to so many other things. Um, but I also see education as uh, like your degree more is it's more like a compass, right? That I studied, I majored in one particular discipline doesn't mean I can't apply myself to something else, right? And, and this is why we have, um, brought, like way back in the days when we had the Socratic method of teaching, where you were taught on, you know, philosophy and arts and so many things. And I wish you could bring that form of learning, almost like a Montessori way of teaching adults, right? But again, that said, even if you study space engineering or whatever, you should be able to apply to something that might be science related. If, if you're even able to even do that pivoting, maybe you might need to take some certification course, but at the very least, your, your degree should be able to open doors for you, right? Because the rigor, the rigor of just, you know, of studying, of, of retaining knowledge, of, of learning how to think through problems, those are things, those are, those are transferable skills that goes above and beyond the label in your degree, right? And, and I think, um, when I think about just why people leave and maybe not even go back, you have to talk about brain drain. There's no way we can talk about this issue without talking about the brain drain. And when we talk about brain drain, we have to think about push and pull factors. Usually there's some factors pushing you away from your country and they're pulling you away towards that country, right? In Nigeria, for example, even Africa is large. Canada and UK remain top, US actually remain top choices for people to go. And this, there's a grief to that because for me it feels like another like a reverse form of slavery in a way. But just this time around, we are the ones hopping on the plane voluntarily. They're not like you know throwing us in the ship and sending us away. Um, so I studied in Nigeria for my bachelor's degree in pharmacy. My education was heavily subsidized. I maybe paid like less than $500 for the whole five years I spent in pharmacy school. That is on the head off. I can't even. You like a credit cost here in the US will cost you like a thousand dollars for just one credit cost, you know. And we're just talking about a fraction of a semester. And so with that heavy subsidy, sub subsidy that we already receive, what happens by the time we're done with school, we're harvested away from our country and we're cut it off to another country to benefit, you know, from us. And until our government begins to wake up to see that, you know, things are really happening to, you know, like you've almost like a it's a double whammy in a way. You've trained these people at subsidized rates, but you're just training them for other countries to plug them. And Nigerians and Africans are doing great in, you know, it feels that we need them to be thriving in Nigeria, like in Africa as, as a whole, like there's also that migration of health workers and even engineers and um, tech people. But there's hope. There's hope. Um, and I'll highlight some examples. So I know um, there's this guy in Nigeria, his name, and his name kind of, um, it will come to me later, but he runs what you call the um, old school. His name is Adewale Yusuf. He was the founder of Tech Point Africa and Talent Talent QL. And right now it, with his old school um, program, they're finally solving the problem of education for thousands of Africa by building a kind of an alternative school to learn in-demand skills. In 12 months and at a very affordable rate, you can learn how to code. You can study engineering, product or data, right? And then um, Tony Alumelu is also another example that comes in mind. And he's um, done a lot to kind of partner with um, people in the workforce and seeing how they can bridge the gaps between our education system and, and that. And then I think we, we can even talk about what individuals are doing, but the government needs to take education seriously. We need to pay our teachers very well, right? We need to make, I mean, teachers and educators, they are the backbone of society. They should be paid well. 
maybe paid almost the same amount of paying, you know, healthcare workers because they shaped the economy. And it's why, for example, Finland is considered to be the best education system in the world because to be a teacher in Finland is almost the, it's the, rigor, the rigor it takes. It's almost like going to med, medical school and they pay their teachers very well. And the, the, I mean, there's so much technology they leverage. They also have some very unconventional ways, you know. The only you know, a child starts school at, at the age of seven. Um, your lessons last that last for 60 minutes. You take 15 minutes break, and you have Friday and Saturday off. Tuition is free. There's, you know, there's you don't even there are no there are no assignments. You know, they teach them skills. They teach them how to work in a cafeteria, how to work in an office. You learn soft skills that you can transfer. You know, again, and being that Finland is a very small country, it's homogeneous, but we still need, we need, we need to, we need forward-thinking um, leaders to know that education is a key. And the picture for the African education will seem, it will continue to be bleak until, until you know, our leaders can show some wisdom and political will. Otherwise, we'll keep, you know, um, um, losing our talents to other parts of the world. And not many people want to go back home, you know, because the problems will still remain, right? The insecurities, the, the lack of infrastructure. What are you going back home for is the questions you, you ask often when you think about going back home. But personally, for me, I have found ways to bridge my research. By virtue of the kind of work I do in cancer, I'm able to, you know, um, transfer some of that in, you know, looking at ways to solve the issue of early, um, of early diagnosis and poor um, cancer outcomes in, in, in Africans. So, My own personal um, experience is I studied abroad. So I did the UK, then I went to the States, then I came back to Zambia. And <laughs> I mean, just to what you're saying, Mo, where you, you've got this degree. So I went to a liberal arts school, as you mentioned, Helen, right? And in that school, we were told, you know what? You can apply these skills to all sorts of things. So then you come back to Africa and you know, you're know, you like, I know I can do the job, <laughs> but because my degree says architecture, you are confused about why I should, why you should hire me. You know what I mean? <laughs> So there's that challenge as well in, um, you know, it's, it's the private sector, it's the, um, it's the government as well in just, I don't know, like there needs to be like a, like some reform in the way that they, they look at degrees and not just or how they hire people, you know what I mean? And not just mm -hmm. apple for apple, like sometimes some skills are, <laughs> can That's be terrible, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, just wanted to add that. So that was like a, yeah. a struggle I had when I came back. Um, so I guess the question that we did start with at the beginning, when we are looking at the perspective um, from the African view, is educating Africans abroad yay or nay? It's a good thing, but I think the intention should be right, right from the start. And I think, so I think it's it's understanding why you're going abroad and that it's not seen as just a meal ticket um, to get out of the country. I think um, Zambia right now, for instance, and you're in Zambia, um, is going through a period of positive growth. Um, I think the government is doing a lot to create opportunities I'm sure they'll always be criticizing it criticism that they could do, do more or faster, but they are trying to do things. 
And Zambia is actually quite an attractive destination, I think, at the moment within Africa, but also for coming home. And um, so I think that will help. I think the recession going on in the rest of the world um, might also help to make Zambia an attractive destination. Um, so when I so coming back to the, the question, I I think that I would say yes, it's a it's a good thing to educate abroad, but but know why you're doing it and have the right intentions in the first place, and keep reviewing those intentions. Have your have your goals and and you know keep keep reviewing them and don't be afraid to go home. Um, again, yay nay will be my response to that. It's 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 a yes and a no for me. Yes. Um, yes, I mean, um, until we build the infrastructure back home and, and make you know, um, our schools really function well, if you do have the means to travel abroad to study, then by all means go. But um, again, like what Helen said, if you are able to go back home or even find ways to keep contributing towards the development of your country, do that, but not at your own peril or trying to prove something to yourself. Um, but there's still so much I think um, our governments will need to work on as far as being able to retain the talents back home. And I think one of the big things we can we can also um, highlight is the importance of employer involvement, right? Um, so take for example in in India, they even though this didn't work out well for them. There was something they did with the National Skills Development Council where they created many trained workers who um, were supposed to fill in the gaps in the labor market. But because they didn't employ, they didn't involve the employers, it kind of created like a huge vacuum. But um, a success story will actually be in my country, Nigeria. The philanthropist Tony Elumelu, he funded a huge program to to plug the shortage of plumbers, electricians, and welders, and is working to encourage the government to adopt a more work-based approach to vocational training. And the problems are actually also still relevant here in the US. Trade school, for example, um, enrollments have declined because everybody wants to get uh, a degree from liberal arts or from science. But what's the use of a degree when you end up going to work in Starbucks? No offense to anybody working in Starbucks. You don't want to amass hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in students in loan just because you want to get a degree that is not being useful for you. And I know Africans, we don't really have a lot of that problem because when we're living in our country to come here, we're usually coming for, you know, um, tech or STEM, you know, pay, high paying jobs. But that said, you know, I think emphasis on trade schools, not everybody requires to go to a college. And I say that carefully as someone with a, you know, advanced, with several advanced degrees and working in university, you don't belong in university if you don't need to be there. At the very least, if your passion is plumbing or being a lineman, those people earn a lot of money. And if you really enjoy doing it, imagine getting paid for what you do enjoy. So we think, I think we need to normalize that in our countries as well. There's so many things I think we're letting go. And because again, like I said earlier on, of our young population is the strength in Africa. No other continent in the world has the growing force we have. Take Botswana, for example, 25% of its population is under five years. And the median age in that country is like 26 compared to 40 in the US. I mean, our, our, our population is booming, but if you are churning students out who are unemployed and they start falling into, you know, um, wrong and scrupulous ways of, of earning money, we're not using our talent. There's so much wastage happening in the country. So we need that public, private partnership. And I think the universities and the, the educational system has to be privatized. We've done a lot of success with um, 
um, GSMs and phones and internet and even power supply because those have been privatized. Why haven't we done that with education? The government can be in everything. This is clearly hasn't worked because it's heavily subsidized and with that also impacts on quality. We can find ways to privatize our education and also involve employers so that way we are training students who can help solve problems in the real world. Mo, like you're bringing these points and then you're making me think of things like, no, we're supposed to be wrapping up. <laughs> ah, I'm sorry, I have that. No, <laughs> I, have, okay, I have to just say this really quickly. Okay, so when you were talking about the trades, it made me think about um, Australia because um, to be in the trades is actually um, more profitable. They get a lot of money. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like the reversed in Australia, which is actually interesting. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about um, something like trades in Africa, um, I'll give you an example. And it's not really a trade. Um, for ex I think it's there's also a deep cultural issue that needs to be solved on this front, right? Because, um, for example, there's a young man. He, I think he was like, I think he studied engineering. He couldn't get a job. So he decided to start farming. Um, then his girlfriend dumped him because he's a farmer. So there's this perception, like the young people and, you know, just people in general, they don't, they don't see value in, you know, jobs like plumbing, in jobs like carpentry, all of these things, which are always going to be necessary, guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you will always need a plumber, you will need a carpenter, you will need an electrician, you will need them. And we have to change the way we see those types of jobs it's like for me it's a cultural issue um because it's like oh like let's say if your child lord forbid brought a, a an electrician as the as your you know as her boyfriend or you know a mechanic it's like oh my god my child is in suffering you know <laughs> it's such a it's a cultural problem that needs to be solved as well just to add to that Okay, agree. so it became spicy and juicy, but we must come to a conclusion. Thank you so, so much, Helen, Mo and Petra. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And listeners, we want to keep the conversation going. Please come and find us on socials and let us know your thoughts on educating abroad, yay or nay. Be part of the solution. Talking is not enough, we need action. So I am challenging you today. What are you going to do about what you just heard? Tell us all about it on social media. Tag at Africana Women or hashtag Educated Africana. The Educated Africana is part of the Africana Women podcast network. Subscribe, review, and share this episode to help us keep the conversation going. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at Africana Woman or hashtag educatedafricana. Catch you next week.